Good morning, Southbrook. We are in the third part of a series called Welcome to the Jungle. How many of you think of Guns N' Roses and the Cincinnati Bengals when I say that? Yeah. And uh, we're excited because uh, a lot of things from this, uh, that it's tied into Big Splash Weekend, making decisions to be a follower of Christ, and um, a lot of reasons we're excited about it, but also it's from, the, the, the imagery is from a video we use in our Players Box initiative. For those of you who don't know, Players Box is, is just gathering students and saying, hey, we're going to give you some tools to equip you to handle stress and pressure, real tools based on how God made our brains, and then, of course, our intent is that relationship that's woven eventually impacts their relationship with Christ. And September 13th is the next one. So get your student into that. Uh, there are some very, they can be put into play right now, tools that I use. I use. And I'll tell you why this has become more urgent to me than ever this past week. Because I know nobody uses these tools like I do. Practical, this is how our brain with neuroplasticity works. And that's September 13th. If you have a middle schooler or high schooler, we would love for them to be a part of that. If you don't, you can still, if you have an elementary or pre-elementary child, and you don't want to screw them up too much, but you want to equip them to be anti-fragile as much as possible. As in the words that we've been using this series, you don't want them to be the candle that the wind extinguishes. You want them to be the fire that the wind energizes and that they wish for the win, then, it, then Players Box is a part of equipping students to do that. And better to get started early on that. Now, I bet you didn't have the week I had because in light of all this, I have something to tell you. Last week, I mentioned that uh, early May, I had found out some numbers weren't good and I was going to have to have a biopsy to determine if I had a treatable form of cancer. And that was scheduled for this Tuesday. I'm so glad it was urgent for them to get me in as soon as possible. <laughs> and, uh, and I was having the pre-op physical exam this week, and I failed the exam because the AJKKG showed that I've had a heart attack, a heart event recently. And uh, I wouldn't have been more surprised if I'd have woke up and my head was sewn to the carpet when they told me that. <laughs> uh, I was just, excuse me? This doesn't happen to me. This is not, not going to happen to me. Now, there's a possibility that a false positive could have happened. Well, because of particularly the night of June 6th, I'm pretty sure that wasn't the case, because I look back and I go, oh, that's what that was. That's what that was. I never had that. And um, as you can imagine... Uh, we're pretty rocked by this. Uh, just so much has been going through our mind the last two and a half, three days. But one is, um, I don't mean this bragging, but I've never smoked, I never chewed, never did drugs. I didn't smoke, didn't chew, didn't go with girls to do that kind of thing. I was, I don't know anyone's lived other than Pete Kramer a cleaner life than I have. Uh, <laughs> And, um, but for a lot of years, I didn't manage stress very well. And I know, I know I'm a pastor and I work one day a week. How stressful can it be? <laughs> but uh, I, I didn't. And then about 10 years ago, I started studying neuroplasticity and 
I started doing the things that led to eventually to Players Box, and 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 I practice these things now because it's very real to me. The the toxicity of not managing stress and pressure well is very real. Uh, there's no history of heart disease in my family. It's only two things. I've led a church. <laughs> That'll do it to you. And I've been a Cleveland Browns fan my whole life. That'll really do it to you. That'll really do it to you. I was, I was telling uh, Zach Klein over here, I said, you know, I said, it's one of the reasons I believe in God is because, is because uh, every sermon series I've ever done, God has a way of making it so real to me. Like, it's one of the reasons I, gee whiz, this can't be a coincidence. And every time I teach through something, God has a way of saying, I love those people too much for you to get up there and fake it. I'm going to make this real. Well, we started this series on discomfort. Lord, back off, man. I get it. No, we have to make it more real. So next week, we're going to start a 52-week series on marriage and sex. We're going to, we're going to do that. 52 weeks. See if the Lord makes it even more real than... I'm sorry. You, you have to laugh. But... Uh, I'm on an adventure, uh, and it's amazing that today now we're, is decision day. Really, today is the day that so many of you will make a decision for Christ, and this, this modality of the tiger, the zoo and the jungle tiger. For those of you that today's your first day, this, this video we show at Players Box is the zoo tiger and the jungle tiger are identical, but the zoo tiger is raised in a zoo where he's fed and he's clothed and he's, you know, all his needs are met. He doesn't have to work for anything. All he has to do is every once in a while go out and look like a tiger uh, on a slab of stone. And his brother may be identical to him, but he lives in the jungle. And life is random and wild and unpredictable, and he has to hunt for food. And they could not be more different when you study their biology. Why? Because one lived in the comfort of a zoo, and the other lived in the random wildness of a jungle. And one of the neat things about the, the whole imagery of the jungle and zoo tiger, two questions. What would happen if we took the zoo tiger and put him in the jungle? Oh, my gosh, he wouldn't survive, would he? Because why? He's lived in the comfort of the zoo. You're not going to thrive in the wildness of the jungle if all you've done all your life is live in the comfort of the zoo. The other thing that people miss on this, I think, is the opposite is true. What would happen if we took the jungle tiger and we put him in the comfort of the zoo? He would die. He would die. Because he's been able to live a wild life fully fleshing out what it is to be a tiger. Hear me roar. And so this series is about the, the reality that is Americans, uh, this is true, but for me as a pastor, I'm really particularly interested in you, the Southbrooker, and saying, listen, let's be aware of this because, because you cannot be a Christ follower and comfort is your main interest in life. You can't. Once you say... Some of you today and next weekend are going to do this. I have decided to follow Jesus, no looking back. I'm not putting my hand to the plow and looking back. Once you do that, you're saying, comfort's not going to be the main priority of my life, consciously, unconsciously. Three lessons that we teach from this video, this. We shy away from the random and unknown in favor of the easy and safe. That's out with Jesus. Number two, we live like zoo tigers and expect to thrive in the wild. That's out with Jesus. 
And number three, in order to grow, in order to live, we have to get out of the cage of comfort. We have to get intentional daily with things that are meant to make us uncomfortable. And, you know, as Americans, we don't like this. As Americans in the suburbs, the suburbs are all about one word, comfort. This is a challenge. Uh, sort of the, the headline narrative of this, Michael Easter in his book, The Comfort Crisis, we are living progressively sheltered, sterile, temperature-controlled, overfed, under-challenged, safety-netted lives, and it's living the degree to which we experience our one wild and precious life. But I... You know, being a Christ follower and representing Christ for the years that I've represented him, you know, I, I always think in this series like this, in these words, John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And I was thinking this week, you know, there's, um, there's some things about Christ that, that he brings that even if you're a cushy pastor of a suburban church, it's still an adventure. Um, I call them the four E's. Look at these on the screen. One is he, he brings in endurance. You become a I do not quit easily person. I don't quit easily. Scores of people, if the lottery were to give away a, a, a reward of endurance, it would be much more valuable than money. Because how many things have you quit in your life that were noble things that you wish you hadn't quit? Christ brings that. James 1.12, blessed is a person who does not quit, who perseveres under trial. Endurance is just, it's just invaluable. There's nothing like it. Uh, look at the second one, is, is the E of engagement. You become a fully alive, connected with reality person. John 8.32, I, through me, you will know reality, and reality will set you free. Why are we a culture that needs to use weed? It's because we can't deal with reality. That's why. And Jesus says, I will make you so you can deal, you can accept reality, and you'll actually be free. You don't have to get on a buzz anymore. You can actually live in the realm of reality. Uh, believe it or not, there's a realm of excitement that comes with following Christ because he brings such meaning to life. And you become, I cannot wait to see what God does next person. As much as I'm rocked, it is, I can't wait to see how God uses this through me. And that's not the platitudes of a preacher. It's real. It's very real to me. And, and, and Jesus said this. He said, uh, the, the, the words of Scripture that the apostles and the, and the early church, everyone was filled with awe as they waited to see what God would do next. And this is real. Life doesn't become this endless circle of get up, to go to work, to earn the money, to pay the bills. It becomes a filled with meaning existence and empowerment. Life becomes a, a, an empowering reality where you become a this is hard, I will grow person. This is the main thing we teach in Players Box. There are two kinds of people. This is hard, I must not be enough. Or this is hard, I'm going to grow. Because you can have comfort and you can have growth, but you can't have both. And Jesus looked at his disciples one day and said, you wait, wait on me. You will be filled with spirit as the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. My power will rest on you, and you will witness to my power to this lost and broken world. And this, I can tell you, 
is real to me. And as you look around this room, it is real to so many in this body. So the urgency of life became all the more real to me today. And that's why, you know, on these decision weekends, like this weekend and next, we, we do amp it up because eternity is at stake. And you, life is so precious, isn't it? It is so fragile. So today, in the words of Scripture, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Listen. Listen to that still, small voice saying, I'm calling you to me. A couple things are going to happen. We're going to sing for a little bit, and we're going to give our heart the medium of music. I had a neuroscientist, uh, a neurotherapist tell me this week that the part of the brain that remembers music is formed nine days into conception the heartbeat of the mother. Nine days. That's why, you, that's why that, like that 1965 song from the birds, I remember, you know? It's because it's, it's just a part of the, you know, it's not, we always talk about the heartbeat. It's not the heartbeat, it's the brain beat. I mean, you, music is so powerful as a way to transcend this world and enter into the, the transcendent power of God. And so we're gonna do that. And then Austin McMahon is gonna close us out and he has a way to explain the passage from Mark chapter 8 that we've been studying. And he's going to walk you through that every step so that by the end of this service, if you've never made a formal commitment to Christ and expressed that through baptism, it's all you. Would you stand up and now let's sing about the God who makes us brave. To, 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 to tell you this, the reason there's honey in the rock is because you sang the, the line, there's sweetness in the mercy seat the most influential piece of writing that was ever written was the book of Romans, and you can argue me on that, I'll win. <laughs> the mercy seat is the place where the lamb is laid and sins are forgiven. And Paul paints in that letter this cosmic drama, this through Roman judicial language of this divine courtroom, and he says when you're in front of the judgment throne, the only thing the Father sees is the righteousness of the mercy seat. That's all he sees. That is such good news. That is honey in the rock. I'm going to show you why it's so sensible to live this gospel. You've got to live it. You, you've got, you, you, if you think you understand it, if you think you know it, you don't know it. You have a system. You have a religion. You live in a zoo. But if this gospel, if the mercy seat, if it crushes you, if it overwhelms you, if you're tired, and you've got to have it, well, this is for you. The sensibility of the gospel I'm going to show you. We've been working through Mark 8, 34, 35. It's up on the screens here. Where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me, because of me, for my gospel, will save it. Now, as it's been with the discomfort in the series, uh, come follow me and you'll die. Not a great sales pitch, is it? 
doesn't quite preach well. We can imagine Peter, you know, kind of bumps into Jesus, hey, hey, bud, um, that one doesn't, that one really doesn't preach to the heart. Uh, what about my yoke is easy, my burden is light? That one's a little bit better. But it's actually very sensible. And there's a lot of things that maybe uh, don't seem compatible with culture and Christianity and the gospel. One of them notably is the doctrine of sin, that there's something within us that is not quite right. And when we find ourselves, we find our true selves, it doesn't actually look that good on us. And the people around us will tell us, when you're your true self, when we argue, no one really likes that, put that away. The gospel's culturally relevant. If you want to trace a cult, if you want to know a culture, you trace out its, its art. And this idea that you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross, die to something, it's everywhere right now. It's so huge. Um, I have a 10-year-old, I have a, a two-year-old, and I have another one on the way, little Ruth. Thank you. And so I have been in, am in, and going into a season of the Disney Plus app. It's just, it is my life. That's all I know is Disney Pixar. Many of you know it too. You get home and you just, this is our home. We have every generation so full of music, a rhythm of our own design. And it's just playing through your mind as you walk through your home. It's just so ingrained a part of you. But another thing that's a part of me that's so ingrained in me is I can't stop theologizing. I, I have to negotiate everything in, in the world with the claims of the New Testament. So I said I sit on the couch and I'm watching the latest installment of Disney Pixar. I, uh, I come up with this idea for an academic article called The Abolition of the Material Antagonist, subtitle, A Psychoanalysis of Disney Pixar. Now, I am entirely unqualified to write a, uh, an academic article of psychology. If there are any grad students out there in psychology, you can have this, it's yours. Uh, but the idea of it that struck me was there's been a shift in the portrayal of the antagonist in the Disney Pixar movies. And it's most notable by the gap with Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University. In Monsters, Inc., you have the antagonists of Mr. Waternoose and Randall Boggs. Now, these uh, gentlemen are just making good sport out of scaring children to death and uh, for, for purposes of greed. And Solly and Wazowski have to overcome these antagonists to save Boo and to turn fear into laughter, and it's a great adventure. But by the time uh, Monsters University came out, there was a shift, and there was no longer this material antagonist. It was, the antagonist was immaterial. It was, uh, it was something within inside of Wazowski, and inside of Sullivan that they had to overcome, something within themselves. And the, uh, the seemingly antagonist, Randall Boggs, they just are now, they're not necessarily evil, they're just misunderstood, which footnote of that article, if you want a sure way to raise a kid in the zoo, teach them that there is not inherent evil in some people, they're just misunderstood. This is how we get universities that teach Hitler wasn't evil, he just had an over-disciplined mother. And this is a severe problem. That's another sermon for another day. <laughs> but the, but the, 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 the archive, and we can go through Encanto, uh, Wally, the good dinosaur, Inside Out, Soul. I mean, you keep going and going and going. That where Sid was in Toy Story 1, she, I mean, what's that kid's problem? Just pure evil, just blowing up toys. To Gabby Gabby, well, she was just unloved. But anyway, this is 
What's the problem? What, is, what does Mirabel have to overcome? What does Wazowski have? It's something within themselves. So the gospel is deny yourself, pick up your cross. It's so relevant that even Disney Pixar is saying there's, some, there's a sin problem within you. And until you overcome that, that discomfort, you're, well, you're, you're, not, you're not going anywhere. Another reason why the gospel is sensible to live by. And this is really, this is really good news. There's a lot of worldviews that can give you transformation. There's a lot of worldviews that can give you transcendence. That is, not being everything you should be, but everything you could be, all the more, maximizing your effect in this world. There's a lot of worldviews that can give you transformation, some that can give you transcendence, but only the gospel can give you both. Only the gospel can give you both. You see, if you make your life about it, Tolstoy said, uh, um, three methods of reform, he said that everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to change themselves. But there's a problem with that. If you're so focused on changing yourself, you'll, never, you'll be too busy to change the world. And if you're so busy changing the world, you'll never look at yourself. If you're so worried about your inner transformation, you'll be, you're worried about the, the newest yoga move. You're worried about the latest green drink. You're worried about the latest acts towards mental health, you'll be so self-absorbed and focused in, you, in the Whole Foods checkout line seeing the new article on mindfulness that you won't even be aware of the world around you that is falling apart. But if you're still focused on transcendence, changing your world, and, and you cancel all the right ideas, and, and, you, and, you, and, you, and, you, and you walk in all the right protests, and you advocate all the right things, You'll have no time for yourself. You'll become embittered. You'll become self-righteous. No one will want to be around you. There's only one worldview that that gives you both transformation and transcendence. This is very sensible. It's the gospel. There was a a, a monumental cultural moment that happened this summer that illustrates this. It requires more theological negotiating and interpretation. And this summer was, for the West, the sacrificial death of Eddie Munson. And if not all of you know who Eddie Munson is, well, 86 was going to be his year, baby. Eddie Munson is a uh, character in the TV show The Stranger Things. And if you haven't seen it, then you must be a communist because it has (laughs) rocked the world, uh, the Western world. Eddie Munson's character arc, let me... He, he, he's this problem child. He's this, he's this no good metalhead. He's, th- he's like a third year senior, 20 year old at Hawkins High School. And he's the leader of the Hellfire Club where his friends are. The true Eddie Munson always ran. The true Eddie Munson, when things got tough, he got soft. The true Eddie Munson always, he hid his problems and, and smoking weed and dealing out horse tranquilizers to cheerleaders. The true Eddie Munson always ran. The true Eddie Munson always ran. Until he found himself one day in a cosmic battle of good and evil. He found himself in this story, this compelling, captivating story of this world he wasn't even aware of before when he always ran. And then, when his friends needed him the most, when his friends were going to defeat the evil demon Lord Vecna thing, what stood in their way were some demon Lord Bat things. And he realized 
He could no longer be the true Eddie. He had to be a new Eddie. He had to transform. He had to transcend what he should be and be all that he could be. And in one decisive moment, he grabs that axe and he steps up on top of that trailer park. And if you've seen it, you know, Chrissy, this is for you. And he just starts ripping. (laughs) It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's unbelievable. This is what happens. Eddie didn't decide to save the world and therefore change himself first, and he didn't change himself, and as an effect of that, save the world. No, in one decisive moment, he left all that he should be and become all that he could be. This is the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that can give you that. Everyone says Christianity is not sensible. Be sensible. Choose the gospel. This is all over it. Mark 1, come follow me, transformation, and I'll make you fishers of men, transcendence. Mark 5, the woman who suffered at the hands of many physicians. Your faith has healed you, transformation. Step into peace, transcendence. This is the only sensible way to live in the gospel. Now, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a passage at the end of, of there's, a, there's a verse at the end of the passage we've been studying. It is Mark 8.38. If anyone is ashamed of me, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The gospel's so sensible, but it comes down to a decision of seeing yourself, it's very simple, seeing yourself in this cosmic drama. The world is at stake, you're at stake. And you have to make a decision. Now, this image that Jesus paints, you know, he's the son of man, that's fighting words, okay? Son of man, that, that's, this is Old Testament stuff. I mean, this is, this, is, this, is, this is a big deal. Josiah Bartlett said, President Josiah Bartlett, some of you know what that means, some of you don't. Bless you if you know who that is. He says this, he would characterize this as the fury of God's own thunder, that the kingdom, the power of the kingdom of God is coming down, and you've got to get a part of it. You gotta get a part of it because it's contingent upon you. Some of you know and will get chills when I say the date, June 6, 1944. This is the day when the World War II began to end and the Allied assault of the beaches of Normandy to German-occupied France. What's characterized in this passage of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is something that, that has come. It is coming, and it's coming in the future, and you've got to get on board. You've got to get on board. Listen to this. Uh, Stephen Ambrose, in, in his book D-Day, says, Operation Overlord, the invasion of German-occupied France in June 1944 was staggering in its scope. In one night and day, 175,000 fighting men and their equipment, including 50,000 vehicles of all types, ranging from motorcycles to tanks and armored bulldozers, were transported across 60 to 100 open miles, 100 miles of open water, and landed on hostile shore against intense opposition. They were either carried by or supported by 5,333 ships and crafts of all types, and almost 11,000 airplanes. 
It was as if the cities of Green Bay, Racine, and Kenosha, Wisconsin were picked up and moved every man, woman, and child, every automobile and truck to the east side of Lake Michigan in one night. The effort behind this unique movement, which British Prime Minister Winston S. Churchill called the most difficult and complicated operation to ever take place, stretched back two years in time, involved the efforts of literally millions of people. The production figures from the United States and the landing craft and the ships of war and the airplanes of all types and weapons and medicine and much more were fantastic with relatively similar figures from Canada and the United Kingdom. But for all that American industrial brawn, all its organizational ability, for all that the British and the Canadians and the other allies could contribute, for all the plans and preparations, for all the brilliance and deception scheme, for all the inspired leadership, in the end, the success of Operation Overlord came down to a relatively small number of junior officers, nomcoms, privates, seamen, and the American and British Canadian armies, navies, Air Forces and Coast Guards, if the paratroopers and the glider-borne troopers cowered behind their hedge groves or hid out in barns rather than actively seeking out the enemy, if the coxswain did not drive their landing craft ashore, but instead, out of fear of enemy fire, dropped the ramps in too deep of water, if the men in the beaches dug behind the seawall, if the nomcoms and junior officers had failed to lead their men up and over the seawall and move inland in the face of enemy fire, why then the most thoroughly planned offensive in military history, an offensive supported by incredible amounts of naval firepower, bombs, rockets, would fail. It all came down to a bunch of 18 and 20-year-old boys and their decision. The kingdom of God is coming. This is good news, this story that you can live into. It's far more captivating, far more compelling of a stamped bit on history than you'll ever have. And most of you in this room have accepted this call. Some of you haven't. You have one wild and precious life. And next weekend could be your June 6, 1944. And when you review history, you have to interpret it for human flourishing. It has to contribute to some way more than just facts. And the interpretation of D that you have to take with you is you had on one, on one side of, of, of the war, you had this democratic society of young, inexperienced boys. And on the other side, you had this totalitarian regime, these, this Werfmach of, of death troopers loaded on amphetamines and, and, and combat experience. And so the question of World War II that, that was asked, societal question was, can a largely autonomous society defeat an authoritarian society? There was a belief within those 18 to 20-year-old boys. They had a belief, a core belief, that, that no, eth no, race, no ethnicity, no race was created better than the other one. And they acted on this belief. It's very simple. They had a belief, and they chose to decide to act upon it and put their life into in something. They transformed themselves, and they transcended to, to a story they never could have imagined they would be a part of. Someone out here today hears this, this is the gospel calling to you. This is the Holy Spirit testifying to you, as Paul says in Romans. Jump out of the plane. Get out of the foxhole. 
get into the water. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. You want to be a part of this. Luke 9, 62 says this. The one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What Jesus says here is, not making a decision about me is making a decision about me. You've dated Christ long enough. Many of you remember when you were dating that girl, you were dating that guy, you either got to get married or break up. It's time. This is too serious. This is one wild and precious life. And this is so good. How do, you know the difference between atheists and Christians? They can live the same life pretty much. But Christians can die better. Because you live with this joy. You're a part of this story. You can face heart attacks. You can face anything. You've stood. You've, you've been in the, the, the divine courtroom and the judgment has come down upon you and it's, and it's you're, you're righteous. You're precious. You're holy. If you're tired, if you're angry, if you don't like the way you look in the mirror, transform and transcend. We'll have pastors down below at the end of today. We'll take care of your kids if you want to hang out for a few minutes longer to talk you through what this decision means. The eternal effect and the present effect of what this decision means for you. Registration for Big Splash is at the Info Center. I've done a lot of baptisms. I've never seen someone regret it. I've done a lot of funerals. Every life deserves a great prose novel written about it, I can tell you that. It's so precious. Jump out of the plane, get in the water, Get out of your foxhole. Amen? Let's pray. Father, who is God, you, you sit on the, the judgment seat and you see righteousness in us. Jesus, who is God, you are faithful on the cross. You endured the cross and made an atoning sacrifice. Holy Spirit, who is God, you testify to the people today. For those who have ears, let them hear the gospel that saves lives. Thank you for this joy we have in you, that we can celebrate amidst tragedy, that we can bravely jump out of the plane. It is in you, God, your eternally empty tomb, we pray. Amen.